A storm doesn't wait until you're prepared to strike, so be prepared and be educated. Hey everyone, it's Katie Hernandez. I'm a sophomore studying agricultural communications at the University of Florida. A key point of agricultural communications is enhancing the ability to communicate complex issues with the general public. This is Streaming Science, and we're going to talk to you about the importance of storm broadcasting. Today we'll be talking with Jacob Dickey, a meteorologist and storm chaser. Hey everyone, my name is Jacob Dickey. I am a meteorologist at WCBI News in Columbus, Mississippi. My title is weekend slash field meteorologist. So I am on air doing the weather on Saturday and Sundays. And then anytime there's severe weather or a community event, the field part comes in and I go out in the community. I do storm chasing and also finishing up my master's degree at Mississippi State, Hale State. I have a cooking show called Cooking Up a Storm, which is super fun. Super uh, cool twist of weather into food. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Jacob, if you just want to start off by telling me a little bit about what got you started into storm chasing and possibly your first storm experience. First time getting involved in the weather was at two and a half. I got a hold of the, rem- the remote control for the TV and pressed a bunch of buttons. As a two-year-old kid, curious as can be, up popped the weather channel. My parents said ever since that moment, I was glued to the weather channel and I was the type of baby that would cry if the weather channel wasn't on. Most kids were into Looney Tunes and all the good stuff like that, not me. When I was eight, I finally went on my first storm chase. It took a while and I had to go together, I should say. He kept saying for a number of years that be out and about, it'd be a great time. Uh, I really started getting serious when it was more 16, 17, 18, and especially in college. I think it was 2015, I took my first chase to Oklahoma. Uh, actually, 2014, I went with my dad to Missouri and Oklahoma. 2015 was my first solo chase to Oklahoma. And I went for 10 days on the road. Ended up seeing tornadoes in Oklahoma, in Iowa, Dakotas, Kansas, Texas, all over the place and just spent time on the road and did that for a number of years. Actually, and actually that 2015 solo chase, my classmates, my classmates in my undergrad, my undergrad was in education, they went on a, a field trip to Puerto Rico and I opted to not go and instead went to the Great Plains and, and did chase there. Since then, been lots of chasing on my own with my dad all over the place. I've been to a lot of different states, seen a lot of different tornadoes. I also started chasing hurricanes. I was in Hurricane Matthew in east side of Florida. We were in Daytona Beach. Hurricane Michael, Hurricane Gordon, Storm Ernesto, Hurricane uh, Hurricane Florence in the Carolinas. So lots of different ways to chase. I've even expanded that too. In the past couple of years, it's even been wildfire chasing. And I, I call that chasing. It's more of, it's not quite like chasing a tornado, I should say. And flooding is another big thing. So now at the TV station, I do chasing, but it's a little bit different. It's uh, on air and it's part of my broadcast job. And how I chased in 2000 and 10 compared to now is much different because viewers are counting on the information that I'm giving. So huge difference, still a lot of fun, still a lot of stress, but uh, very rewarding at the end of the day. Definitely. Um, So now since storm chasing is such a dangerous thing, what are some safety precautions that you put in place when you're preparing to storm chase? So preparations for storm chasing happen days before. And biggest thing is that in the days ahead, we're looking at model data and understanding the threats that our viewers will face and what I'll need to be aware of in the field. 
So for instance, our most recent event on Saturday, April 13th, we knew it was going to be a tornado event. We weren't certain how strong and all of that considers how I'm going to chase. I'm not going to take nearly as many risks on a tornado event, especially at nighttime, as I would during a daytime, slow moving, more wind and hail event that's going to give us some good looking storms. Uh, stuff on the 13th was wrapped in rain and won't see it. We're more so focused on getting damage. In the hours ahead, it's making sure the car's in tune. And that's even things like the engine, the tires, the windows are clean, all the equipment's in place. And then during the moment, there's constant communication with the other meteorologists at the station, with production staff, with the National Weather Service, with local emergency managers while in the field to make sure one, I don't get put in a bad situation and two, we're giving the coverage that viewers deserve and getting them the life-saving information that, that we need. So what are some tips that you would have for someone who's interested in storm tracing? I know you started at age two and a half for someone who's probably a little late in the game compared to that. Yeah, yeah, two and a half wasn't necessarily storm chasing. It was just kind of looking at the looking at the, the, all the storm chasers on TV. And that honestly is a way to go watching videos and uh, watching weather and keeping up with things. For the first chase, really, the, the safety aspect is really important. A lot of times people will get themselves put in bad situations. The National Weather Service offers spotter training courses where you learn what to look for and how to stay safe, how to communicate, what, what to go. And I think, too, today is much different than it was back in the 2000s. In the 2000s, when I was chasing with Dad, all we had was a weather radio and we only had a road map, a Rand McNally Atlas roadmap. Today, cell phones, computers, GPS, all of those things are, are helping bring information and keeping people safe in the field. Like myself, uh, I'm able to communicate. I can see the radar. I get data. I'm able to see social media and what, what the latest reports are for other chasers. The big step, though, I really think strongly is, is going to a National Weather Service spotter training course. And they happen usually in the spring and fall. Different NWS offices do at different times. Uh, you, you can reach out to the local office. And so many people are interested in storms and it seems that that typically happens around hurricane season. Do you want to just talk a little bit about your worst storm experiences and how your experience storm chasing has kind of shaped how you view storms now? Yeah, so my first big tornado was in Oklahoma in 2016. It was EF4, it was photogenic and incredible. Then I didn't have a TV job, so I could, I could quote unquote enjoy it a little more. Since I've gotten the TV job here at WCBI, and that was in 2017, changed my mentality a whole lot. Now it's no longer just the thrill of going and seeing, viewer based. What I do is showing viewers what's going on in the field. And we know from a social science perspective that during wall-to-wall -wall severe weather coverage, when we're doing tornado warning coverage, viewers will respond to radar and say, oh, okay. But if a viewer is able to see either the tornado or even damage itself, the level that they take action changes. They are much more likely to take shelter. They are much more likely to respond to our calls to action. A number of events over the past year have, have shaped that. Hurricane Florence was kind of a big first experience. 
And that was a flooding storm. That storm was known for the rain it produced in the Carolinas. Uh, we went to Wilmington. Our, our TV station has a sister station there. We went to help their crews and uh, covered the damage after. Unbelievable, the magnitude. We're flying in over agricultural areas that are very flat with water that is 30, 40 feet tall, just sitting there. Crazy, crazy to see. And I think seeing that was a big reminder that the information I'm giving matters to viewers and, and they're relying on that information for them to stay safe. Following that, Hurricane Michael in Panama City. We were north of Panama City in, in Mariana, Florida on I-10. 120 to 120, 120 to 140 mile an hour winds. The devastation was something like I've never seen before. And I, when I say that, a tornado is a localized, small scale event. A lot of devastation happens in one part of town and the other part of town can be left unharmed. In a hurricane, it's a swath of 50 to 100 miles of total catastrophic devastation. And that's exactly what Michael did. A big strip of 50 miles plus from Panama City, Mexico Beach, all the way into central Georgia. It was like a buzzsaw came through and just destroyed buildings, trees, signs, stoplights, everything. And the era we were in too was unrecognizable after. It was, it was roofs off of buildings. It was signs destroyed. It was gas stations blown away. It was trees knocked down like they were toothpicks on a cake. I think mentally for me, it was devastating so much that it distracted me uh, and just changed the way I view things entirely. And then following that, we had an EF2 tornado in Tupelo, and that came through populated areas. It's really horrible to see. Uh, and this is when I have my TV job. Now I'm I'm seeing the after effects and the viewers that are impacted. Had another EF3 tornado kill someone in my home city here in Columbus, Mississippi. That was in February. That came through a very vulnerable population of town, and still today months later you can see where that tornado came through clear as mud there's still houses with roofs gone there's still debris on the side of the roads and then uh, just this month in april april 13th we had an ef2 slice through a town and kill another individual and, uh, that devastation still fresh from days ago in my mind of seeing that come through here so very much just all of those experiences from the good old days of, hey, I see the tornado and I go home. Now it's, I see the tornado and I'm spending 24 hours working after that in the fields with those communities. Since since the tornado came through on the April 13th of Saturday, all night long was up with search and rescue, all night long getting information and getting it to viewers. So that has changed a lot. It's chasing and now responding afterwards that shifted my perspective, give me a whole new outlook on the importance of broadcast meteorology and the importance of my job. If you just want to talk a little bit about how you think storm reporting would be altered if there were no storm chasers. Most storm chasers are in it for the tornado. They want to see the tornado and on the side they will post some videos, pictures to social media. Still though, what chasers and even spotters do is very valuable. It provides ground truth. 
the National Weather Service has a network of Doppler radars around the country. And the Doppler radar scan the storms every few minutes, telling us what it is and where the storm is. The problem is, is those beams oftentimes are scanning at heights that are a few thousand feet above surface for most storms. If your storm like what we had in Northeast Mississippi on in here in April came through, those storms actually passed within hundreds of yards of the Doppler radar. So we got a dang good look. That's not the case with all storms. A lot of times there's 50, 60 miles away. That radar beam is shooting straight. The earth kind of tilts below it. So we're getting a view higher up. What storm chasers and spotters do, it provides ground truth and provides valuable information on what's going on. But I also recognize too, that what I'm doing is being watched by thousands of viewers when we're on TV. Our market has about 460,000 people in it that, that get our signal. Not everyone watches us and not everyone's gonna watch for severe weather coverage, but during severe weather coverage, this area in Northeast Mississippi has been particularly hit hard, so people are watching. Me being in the field is eyes there that puts trust in the viewers and shows them what's happening. And really the goal is, is to be in the damaged areas after a tornado comes through. And we had some great success in this most recent April event where um, we ended up five minutes after an EF1 tornado came through a town, had that damage on TV live. After that tornado came through, another six or so tornadoes came afterwards. Viewers saw the damage that already happened. They knew that these tornadoes were causing some serious problems and they responded in a much, much better way. I know you've talked about you have a lot of outreach efforts that are going on, including your cooking show, um, Cooking Up a Storm. So if you just want to talk about the importance of those outreach efforts to communicate to the general public who doesn't come from a meteorology background. Yeah, so uh, I'm a scientist first, and I stress that, but I'm also a personality, a news personality. When it comes to the business, I am not going to be successful by just blurting facts and stating information. I have to connect with my viewers. One of the big ways I found it connecting is in this particular part of the country, food is love. People love food, they love to eat, they love cooking, they love traveling. So I connect very well with viewers from what the food I cook and even going to local restaurants and sharing that food. People love that. Connecting with viewers provides a lot of trust and accountability for me. It shows that, yes, okay, now I have a following of 13, 14,000 people on my Facebook. They're counting on severe weather coverage when it comes down to it. At the end of the day, that's the big thing. So those outreach efforts, the cooking show, the school visits, all of that is a way to put myself out there and connect with the community. And I think that's one of the biggest things that broadcasters and meteorologists need to do more is be, be there in the community reach out and connect with people. Made a lot of great relationships, a lot of great friendships with folks out there. And this area really means a lot to me. So that didn't happen just because of being on TV three nights a week. It happened from getting involved and knowing people. As far as, as the outreach efforts go, it's a lot of work and social media is a monster. It takes a lot of time to post things, but the rewards show up when we have severe weather events like we've had this spring and that's something that's been really good.
You've heard it from the eye of the hurricane. A storm can hit at any moment, so be prepared. Be sure to stock up on supplies and grab your radio so you can stay tuned even in a storm. Tune in next time to hear more about how storms affect your everyday life and keep in mind how impactful streaming science can be for your everyday life.